0: Well, it's good to see you this morning. From uh, 2008 to 2012, I've shared with you how I was able to serve as the student minister on staff at Lakewood Christian Church in McAllister, Oklahoma. And during this time, I was given the opportunity to lead a small group of students and adults on a short-term mission trip to the country of Haiti. Um, Lakewood partners with a Christian organization called World Orphans, And through this partnership, they've adopted a local church in the city of Port-au-Prince. Because of the devastating earthquake that hit the country back in early 2010, thousands of children have been left without family, food, and shelter So the local church in Port-au-Prince, they have a mission as a church of taking in as many of these children as possible who've become orphaned as a result of the earthquake, and they provide food, shelter, continued Christian education on a long-term basis, and they provide a family for these kids. Now the purpose of our trip really was threefold. We wanted to go and meet some of these children. We wanted to continue to develop our relationship with this church, and then our church asked us to come back and you know, bring a report about all that God was doing, all the good things that God was doing in that area. Now, I had prayed about this trip for several months leading up to it. I knew that God was calling me to go to, to help lead, but I'll be honest with you, I wasn't thrilled about what God was asking me to do. <laughs> I wasn't thrilled about leaving the country and going into an area with so much recent destruction. In fact, before we left, I remember having a running list of fears and questions and these, these what-if scenarios just going through my head. Uh, some of these things included a, a lifelong fear of flying. You know, I've told many of you I hate to fly. It doesn't make sense to me. You got this long metal tube just floating through the air. That shouldn't be a thing, but it is. You know, I thought about well, what if I come into contact with new germs. That was, a, that was a legitimate fear. And even the possibility of having to hug new people. Um, I'm not so much a hugger. And some of you are. That's okay. God loves you. You know, what, what, if, what if I misplaced my passport on the trip? I couldn't get back. What if, what if the plane crashed? What if my luggage got lost? What if I got a disease or got hurt in some way? What if something happened to my family while I was gone? You know, some of my fears, I think, were realistic, but others, you know, not so much, most of them not so much, like the fear of having to hug new people. I had to get over that. Well, as the trip got closer, what I came to realize was that so much of this trip was just out of my hands. I had very little control over the entire situation. In fact, if any one person or group of people had any amount of control over the series of events, that would take place over the coming weeks, it would have been the staff at World Orphans or the airplane pilot or the translators um, who were assigned to us. I remember hearing a Christian comedian one time, he was addressing people's fear of flying, and just out of curiosity, how many of you are afraid of flying? A few. Uh, There's probably more than who want to raise their hand today. You know, you're you're lying, you're not being honest, but... um, (laughs) We're in church. We can rectify that. Um, but he was talking, and he, and he said, you know, don't be worried about flying. Don't be worried about this. Like, when it's your time, it's your time. There's nothing you can do to add, you know, a single hour to your life. God has that planned. And, uh, and, and that set really well until he said, but what if it's the pilot's time? <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think I just ruined flying for a lot of you. <laughs> So, yeah, it was a legitimate fear. You know, what if, what if it came down? <laughs> well, when it came down to it, you know, my life depended on the experience of a select group of people, just a few people and people that I didn't know very well. Uh, Right before we left, I remember talking with some of the staff from World World Orphans, and they walked us through the different scenarios and situations that we might find ourselves in while our team was on the ground, and and they assured us that they had taken hundreds of successful trips, just like the one that we were about to take. But if I'm honest, their their encouragement didn't do a whole lot to calm or alleviate the fears that I had. The truth was that I was about to put my life in the hands of a few strangers, people I'd never met, people I had no relationship with. I would have preferred to not just know about the people who were leading us, you know, seeing their photo and a quick bio on their website, but to really get to know them personally before we left, you know, because maybe if I felt invested in them, if they felt invested in me, I would have felt more at ease under their care. Well, as you probably guessed, you know, we'll fast forward many years, as you probably guessed that the trip went really well, and one piece of evidence of that is I'm standing here with you today. The plane didn't go down. (laughs) And one takeaway that I had from this incredible experience, and it really was a great experience, is that when it comes to the things that really matter in life, the things worth doing, the people that we need to be around, it's not just about what we know or don't know. It's not just about the facts that we know in life. What really matters, especially when it comes to the people who have the biggest investment, the biggest involvement, and the biggest impact in our lives, isn't the facts that we know about them. What matters is if we've developed the kind of relationship that leads to trust. And trust can take time to build. Just knowing the facts about something or someone will only get you so far, but trust will take you much further. In the same way that healthy and growing relationships with other people leads to greater trust, a healthy and growing relationship with God leads to greater trust as well. I'll say it this way, that when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, the facts that you know about him will only take you so far. You can only grow so much in your Christian walk by knowing the right things. I've shared with you before that I I think there will be many people who miss heaven by a distance of about 16 inches. That's the distance between your head and your heart. A lot of people know a lot of things about Jesus, a lot of things about the Bible. But do they truly know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you walk with Jesus? Do you live for Jesus? So what will really change the way that you relate to Jesus and live for him is how you gauge your trust in him. If we want to continue to grow in our relationship with God, if you're interested in deepening the way that you relate to him by developing a relationship that's marked by confidence and trust in who he is, then friends, we first need to go to God's word. We need to see what genuine faith and what genuine trust looks like. Think about this for for just a moment. What would your life look like? What would your life be like if you had an unshakable, relentless kind of faith? Think about that. Imagine a life without fear, a life without worry, without the harmful kind of doubt. Not that difficult things don't or, or won't ever happen to you or around you, but that when they do, your first Reaction, your first response is to put your faith and your trust in a big God. Imagine believing beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything God does, he he does first and foremost for his glory, but he also does in order to build your faith and to draw you into a a deeper, a closer, more intimate relationship with himself. Everything in your life, your school, your family, your relationships, your your work. Everything would be impacted for the good if you could wake up each and every day with this kind of faith and this kind of trust in God. And friends, I, I believe that's exactly what God wants for each and every one of us. He wants to give us the faith to trust him and to build our lives on the promises of his word. Today, we're beginning a new series called Compassion According to Jesus. Now you may be wondering, what in the world does compassion have to do with faith and trust? You know, why the long introduction if we're talking about compassion? Well, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is confronted with the miseries, the the hardships of a dying servant, a, a grieving widow, a perplexed prophet, and a repentant sinner. And really, going against the grain of the social norm, he decided to serve each of these people with compassion, to extend compassion to all of them. Now, I think that if, if a hardship committee—I you know, think churches like committees a little too much sometimes— if a hardship committee uh, made up of first-century religious leaders had been put together and tasked with deciding— Which of these four people deserved help? Which of these people deserved compassion? You you have to wonder if they would have ministered to any of them. I've talked in the past about how compassion is giving up my wants to meet another person's needs. That's what compassion is. It's giving up my wants to meet another person's needs. I've enjoyed reading through Warren Wiersbe's commentary on uh, Luke's gospel And when he talks about compassion, he uses an even shorter definition. I'm going to kind of pair these two together for this series. I think it's really good. He says, compassion is your pain in my heart. Compassion is your pain in my heart. So I like both of these. I think they help us understand how Jesus chose to respond to each of the four people we're going to read about over the next few weeks. Jesus decided to help all of them, to serve all of them. And that's because true compassion doesn't measure. It ministers. True compassion doesn't measure someone's life and sees if they're worthy of being a recipient of compassion. It ministers. In other words, true compassion doesn't discriminate. It acts. We're called to be people of compassion. People of grace. As for the connection between compassion and faith, or trust, Just about every time Jesus served another person with compassion, it led to the recipient putting their faith in God. Compassion can be a powerful tool for the kingdom. That's the title of my message today, Faith in a Big God, Faith in a Big God. And my prayer for our church family over the coming weeks is that we would learn from Jesus to live like Jesus, that we would learn how to serve others with compassion well, and that we would know that we can put our faith in God regardless of what we go through. We're called to be people of faith. So before we dive into the text today, I'd like for us to spend a few moments in prayer. Just pray for our time together this morning. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together today. I thank you that Sunday is the start of a, a brand new week. It's a time for us to come and be reminded about who you are, to be reminded about your promises for your people, to be recharged and sent out so that we can be your ambassadors in the communities and the neighborhoods, the workplaces that, that we're a part of. Lord, today I pray that we would be uh, certainly encouraged. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us in the areas that we need conviction. And that you would comfort those today who need to be comforted. Lord, and that you would be glorified through how we spend our time together. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, friends, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. And we're going to continue our study in Luke. We've been in Luke since Christmas. And my plan is for us to camp out here for, for quite some time. And I've been really excited about reading through and studying Luke So I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to go back and we'll unpack what we read, and I'll provide some practical application along the way. So everybody take a deep breath. All right, Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him, to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word. Say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. He was amazed. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So a little bit of context for what we just read. A centurion Uh, was a soldier who was put in charge of at least 100 other soldiers. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as the book of Acts, uh, Roman centurions are presented as men of of high character. Now, The one that we're reading about today, I think, is a good example of this. The Jewish elders, they didn't have a lot of love for the Romans, especially Roman soldiers, um, but their experience with this one was different. According to Scripture, he loved the Jewish people in Capernaum. He even helped to build their synagogue. He also loved his servant. He didn't want to see him die. This centurion, I think, understood what it meant to serve others with compassion. He he had a heart of concern for the people in his circle of influence. I want you to imagine for a moment what this scene probably looked like. So here's Jesus and his followers uh, walking through the town, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, they encounter a group of Jewish elders who had been sent to Jesus with a message from a Roman centurion. Now, my sense of humor, and it's not always right, <laughs> but my sense of humor has to wonder if Jesus's disciples were looking at each other, and they were, they were thinking, man, we are so busted. <laughs> who did it this time? You know, Peter, was it you again? What, what have you done? You know, why, why have the elders been sent to us by a Roman centurion? This would have been an incredibly tense moment because the Romans were the bad guys in first century Judea. They had invaded the land. They, they forcefully set up the ruling government. These aren't exactly likable qualities for the people who already lived there. You have to understand this. The Romans took up large amounts of taxes and they made the people who didn't agree with their methods just disappear. In the historical account that we just read, a group of Jewish elders had been sent to Jesus, Jesus on behalf of one of these Roman centurions and, and he was asking for Jesus' help. That This was unheard of. This didn't happen. Let's continue in Luke 7 verses 3 through 5. It says the centurion heard of Jesus. So he had heard about Jesus. Maybe even witness some of the things he had done. And he sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Now, I'm reading between the lines. But Jesus' disciples were probably thinking, you know, they probably weren't thinking about all the good things the centurion had done. They're they're probably thinking, well, good, you know, we hope his servant is hurting. We hope his servant's in pain and that he's contagious and that whatever he has spreads to every Roman citizen throughout the Roman Empire. You know, come on, Jesus, let's go heal some Jewish people. (laughs) And maybe you're thinking, well, why would they do that? Well, remember, these are the same disciples who tried to call down fire from heaven to destroy people. The disciples um, didn't really look like Jesus a lot of of the times, at least early on. They were flawed men. They got it mixed up a lot of times. But that's not how Jesus responded. Look with me at verse 6, just the first part of verse 6, very important verse. So Jesus went with them. He didn't criticize the Roman government. He didn't criticize the centurion. He didn't try to measure whether he was worthy of his help or not. He went with him. And actually, uh, Matthew wrote about the same story. And in his account, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. So can you imagine the the disciples saying, whoa, (laughs) whoa. Let's put the brakes on. Wait a minute, Jesus. You know, we can't just go around healing Romans now. I mean, the the Jewish leadership, they already think we're crazy. If we start running around helping Romans, it's going to be all over for us. But this situation didn't bother Jesus. He put himself in what was an uncomfortable situation to most. He told the Jewish elders that he would gladly go to the centurion's home and he he would help. He would serve. And what happened next just... Blows my mind. Look with me to the latter part of verse six and the first part of verse seven. He was not far from the house, and they're on foot. So not far could, could be a mile, it could be a quarter mile, we we don't know, but he's not far. He can get there in a short amount of time says when the centurion sent friends to him. So not only did he send the Jewish elders, but now he's sending friends to Jesus. said, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word. Speak the word. Just say it and my servant will be healed. So in other words, Jesus, I've heard a lot about you and I don't even think you need to come to my house I think if you just said the words from right where you're at, my servant would be healed. Jesus, you have the power to heal my servant long distance. You can do it wirelessly. That's how much faith he had in Jesus. Well, the centurion's friends continued to share his message with Jesus. Verse 8. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, "Go and he goes, and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, "Do this, and he does it." So this is another important uh, verse for, for this text, because the centurion, he was able to identify an aspect of his own life that he had in common with Jesus. You see, when a centurion told his men to do something, uh, they listened, they acted without question. They didn't hesitate. And this wasn't because the the centurion was bigger. It wasn't because he was stronger, faster, or better looking. It was because the men realized that he carried the weight of a greater authority. They weren't just listening to his authority. They were following a greater authority. The Roman centurion didn't represent just himself. He represented all of Rome. And they knew that. And the connection here, I think, is just beautiful. You see, likewise, Jesus, being fully God and fully man, was representing and working under the authority of someone else. And whoever Jesus represented, this centurion had witnessed enough to know that this person could do anything. He could do anything, even heal his servant from across town. So, just like the Roman centurion, had 100 men under his authority. Jesus has sickness, disease, and death under his. And being fully man, Jesus submitted perfectly to the will of God the Father, his greater authority while on earth. I just love that connection that the centurion was able to make there. Let's continue with verses 9 and 10. We'll wrap it up with this. When Jesus heard this, he was, and what's the word? Amazed. Amazed. Jesus was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, so this would include his disciples and then other people who were just listening on and following him around uh, Capernaum. Turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And then the men who had been sent returned to the house and they found the servant well. It's amazing. Jesus expressed an audible wow. This is actually the first and only time in the entire New Testament when the Greek word ethumason, which means marveled at or amazed, is associated with something Jesus said about another person. He said, I am ethumason. I am amazed at this. I am marveling at this. And it was something that someone else did. It's the only time that we see this. And what's amazing to me is that it's not because of the centurion's obedience. It wasn't because of his church attendance. It it wasn't even because of how much money he gave. It was associated with his faith. It's with his faith. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this centurion wasn't raised in church, he wasn't raised in the synagogue. Having attended Sunday school class since he was a kid, he didn't experience any of that. He couldn't recite the Shema found in Deuteronomy 6. This is the prayer that uh, even today Jewish families uh, recite. They pray every morning and every evening. He likely never read the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and and he was a Gentile. Everything was kind of going against him. Yet he had faith that Jesus could heal his servant long distance. He had that kind of faith. He had witnessed enough to know that Jesus is who he says he is. And his faith apparently was enough to amaze Jesus, a He marveled at it. When we began our time together this morning, I said, It's not necessarily how much you know about a person that helps you grow in that relationship, but how much you truly know them. There's a difference. We can know a lot of facts about things and people. That doesn't mean that you know them. And when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, the same can be said. When you begin to spend time with God, genuine time, sincere time with God in his word, serving him faithfully with your life, placing your trust in him day after day, he will give you the faith that you need in the measure that you need it. You'll start to have faith in the minor things. And before long, you'll recognize that God's giving you the faith that you need in the major things. And because Jesus was amazed at this centurion's faith, you know, I've read this this story several times. And because he's amazed at his faith, I've, I've always walked away just believing that, well, the emphasis of this story was all about how big a person's faith is or isn't. And I've always walked away thinking, okay, well, God, I just, I just need to have bigger faith. And I felt like it was up to me. Like I needed to somehow muster that up in, in myself. When, I'll, I'll be honest with you. There have been times in my life where my faith tank runs on E. What do you do in those seasons? What do you do in those situations? I think the more I've grown in my faith, the more I learn about God's word, the more I've come to realize that it's really about having faith, but in a big God. It's not so much about us individually having this big, ginormous amount of faith. It's about us having faith in a big, ginormous God. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, that doesn't sound like huge faith on the part of the individual, does it? Mustard seeds are like the smallest seed in the world. They're tiny, but they grow into these these big trees. He says, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, "Move uh, move from here to there. And it would move. Nothing would be impossible. So let me remind you today that the mountain doesn't move because of what we can do. The mountain moves because of who God is and because of what he is able to do. Amen? If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed. So just a few takeaways from from this text, from this message today. First, as we go through this series, I'm going to encourage you to keep your eyes wide open for how you can serve others with compassion. Remember, compassion is giving up my wants to meet another person's needs. I would say it's not really compassion unless it hurts a little bit, unless you're sacrificing something. Warren Wearsby says that it's your pain in my heart. You never know how God will use one act of compassion. You know, we've been learning, especially the first part of this year, that we're really never more like Jesus than when we're serving. Jesus came to serve and to not be served. As we grow in our faith, as we learn from Jesus to live like Jesus, um, we are going to be serving more. We're going to have that attitude of a servant. And compassion is a a byproduct of that. So keep your eyes open this week for how you can serve others with compassion. And I would say, you know, try to put yourself in the disciples' shoes a little bit. You know, Jesus decided to serve this centurion, someone that uh, to them they probably felt like wasn't deserving, wasn't worthy. Do the opposite of what they did. <laughs> Follow Jesus. And then second, whatever this season of life looks like for you, you know, Jim said at the beginning of service today, you, you may be having a, a great day, kind of having a mountaintop experience, and those are my words. So you may have come in here today and it's just a really low point for you, a really difficult season. Maybe it's in, in your marriage, maybe it's in other relationships you have, or it's work-related, whatever the list is, whatever it is. But I want to encourage you to keep putting your faith in the Lord, even if it's just faith as small as a mustard seed. Put your faith in a big God. And if you're in a place where your faith tank is running on empty, let me just remind you, um, you have other people around you that want to pray for you, that want to walk with you through whatever it is that you're going through. That, that's part of the purpose of the local church is we're to bear each other's burdens. We're to encourage one another. We're to comfort one another. We're to speak the truth in love. So we can pray that God would give you the faith that you need to trust him. As we continue our study through Luke's gospel, um, we're going to see that one of the things that glorifies God the most and points other people to Jesus is faith. And the same is true today. The thing that is most honoring to God is your faith. Let me say that again. Let let it sink in today. Think about this. The thing that is most honoring to God is your faith. So my my prayer for our church family is that you would submerge yourself into God's word this season. That you would serve God faithfully with the gifts that he's given you. That you would put your faith in God in all circumstances. We, We serve a big God. Amen? Amen.